All right. Let's go before the Lord in prayer again. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning for all your saints that you have gathered by Christ and his death, redeeming and justifying them and perfecting them as they are today. We thank you for the Holy Spirit whom you have given to show us the truth of these matters. Pray that we continue to grow, to increase in the knowledge of him who loved us and gave himself for us. May you give us ears to hear this morning, and may you speak to us. Lord, we honor you, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Romans 5, 12 and 14. 12 to 14. Good morning, one and all. If you are just joining us, we have our sign in the right position. It is not upside down, even though I actually liked the way it looked upside down. <laughs> it looked real cute. We have people thinking, what is that sign saying? Lazy boy gospel. Yeah, lazy boy gospel. Romans 5, 12 to 14, Apostle Paul says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. For our title, maybe one, two, sin was in the world. Sin was in the world and sin not imputed where there's no law. And of course, it's a Berean message, which means will be everywhere. <laughs> will be everywhere in the Bible. And I'm going to begin this way. I believe this teaching of Adam has been helpful. And we're going to keep bidding on Adam because it's critical to a proper appreciation of the gospel. Adam is very important to understand if we are going to get Christ right, and that means the gospel right. And as I always say, the gospel is a very simple message, and yet it has many moving parts. And people get stranded when they try to navigate through the many moving parts. In Adam, God was simplifying things for us. He was introduced, introducing the testament of Christ as we have learned in the previous three messages. Adam was or is the side A of the matter of salvation. 
and Christ Jesus beside B. And there is no other combination of sides that is allowed. I did not say Jesus was plan B. I said he was plan, he was side B. That is how God determined to deal with the matter in these two persons. That's what I'm saying. So let us rehearse again what we have learned about Adam. We have learned that sin entered into the world. This place that we call home. This place and space that is inhabited by humanity. So when John says, or Jesus says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomever believes shall what? You know the story. The point with world was speaking to this realm of human existence. God showed his love in this direction, in this place where human beings live, to redeem them by way of sending his son. Okay? And so this is how it happened, Genesis 2, 8 to 9. Genesis 2, verse 8 to 9. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2, 15 And 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it, to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And later on in Genesis 3, the devil through the serpent made an appearance and beguiled the woman saying or suggesting that God had misrepresented the facts about the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And contrary to what God has said, she would not die if she would eat and would even gain some real knowledge and become just like God, knowing good and evil. Okay? So that's what the devil said to Eve by way of deception, by way of temptation. But we saw this, that if God attaches death to a commandment, as he did with what he told Adam, 
then that commandment can never be for life. So those who say Adam was under commandment to obey, that we may have life by him, are not listening with gospel ears. Also, those who will come and tell you that the law is the rule of life for the redeemed, do not hear what the law is actually saying. They do not understand what God has said about the law because God attached death to the law. They are beguiled, they are deceived with respect of the true knowledge of salvation. Also, we observe that in the commandment to not eat, there was no if-then clause. There was no if-then clause given to Adam in respect of salvation. In other words, there was no conditional clause for Adam that there was possibility for him earning eternal life for himself and his descendants after him by his obedience to that commandment. That is not in the text. It is not even insinuated in the text. God simply made a statement of fact and said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is what is going to happen to you. In other words, in the appointed day by God, Adam would break the commandment through the deception of the devil, of his bride, Eve. That's how it was going to happen. God already knew about this. And God did not just know about it. It is he who purposed it. He was 100% behind it. So Eve was beguiled of the devil and she ate and also gave some of the fruit to Adam and he ate without any hesitation. You have to eat what your wife has cooked for you for dinner. Otherwise you get in trouble. That's what happened with Adam. (laughs) But this was a strange thing for Adam to do given that the commandment had been given him first. The commandment to not eat was given Adam. But the commandment, as I said, had the judgment of death, but no promise of life. Adam was not in a probational period, probational, right? Probationary, probationary period, whereby if he would go for a certain period, five years, ten years, two months, without eating, then God would have said, okay, I see that you're righteous. That was not part of the conversation. Adam was not under covenant to bring life to anybody. Life was only covenanted to be given through Christ, through the obedience of Christ. Okay? Also, Adam had not life in himself. Life had to be breathed into him from God. So there was no way that he could earn eternal life 
as the man of the dust. Because eternal life by nature cannot be end. Eternal life cannot be end. Doesn't matter if you're innocent. Doesn't matter if you have never committed any sin. Eternal life cannot be end. Why? Because it is an attribute of the ever-living God. Alone. He alone possesses eternal life. He has been from everlasting to everlasting. Thus, eternal life can only be given. And if it be given, it's going to be given one way alone, and that is freely. And that means by grace alone. So Adam must eat and be condemned not because God hated him, but because God was teaching him and us and beginning to unfold the story of Christ. This is where the story begins in the human experience of it. Adam is point A in the unfolding of the story of Christ in the human experience. But it is Eve who ate first and must eat first because this was not about the fruit, but about who gets into trouble first, who gets into sin first, who gets condemned first. In the gospel narrative, Eve, as the picture of the church, must eat first and enter into the condemnation of her sin. And Adam, as a type of Christ, cannot abandon his bride, cannot leave his bride in that state of condemnation alone. He must join himself to the new legal status of her bride. And so, Adam willingly entered into the condemnation of his bride, Eve, that the two may not be separated by death. Because at some point, as soon as Eve is or ate, she was already separated from Adam. The condemnation is upon it, but it is not yet on Adam. And so Adam must eat. So in life and death, the two shall remain as one flesh. Because Eve is the body of Adam. As the church is the body of Christ. That the Lord Jesus came and took up human flesh that he may be united to the sin of his bride, the church, to redeem her through the suffering of death. The church of Christ was first joined to Christ through election. But he would take possession of 
her on condition of his death. He purchased the church with his blood. So Christ had to come and redeem, as it were, come and eat of the same fruit by way of imputation, the same fruit that Eve ate, set her free, justify her, reconcile her to God because the church is a sinful body. As you may say, she is a hot mess. <laughs> the church is. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. The writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 2, 14 to 15, Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that is us, he himself likewise shared in the same through the incarnation. The Lord Jesus came and joined himself to us by adding flesh and blood. But without sin. As Adam also shared in flesh and blood with Eve as she was formed from his side. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So you see the devil is there in the equation. You see that death is in the equation. Through death, Christ has to redeem. But Christ cannot die until he has added flesh and blood. But this was in pursuit of his bride, the church. So through death was God's way of setting his people free. Through death is how we are set free. Even from this flesh. You're going to keep getting tired of this flesh. And the longer you live, the more you long to get out of this flesh. And there's only one way out. It's through death. It's through death that you are set free. It was through the death of the Passover lamb that the children of Israel were set free. Death is the way of escape. In the bigger scheme of salvation. And that's what God told Adam when he said, In the day that you shall eat from the tree, you shall surely die. And this happening because of the woman whom God gave her. Whom God gave him. And that was anticipative of the death of the Lord Jesus. The woman that Adam was given was given by God. And 
She is the kind that brings death to the husband. Jesus Christ was given a woman who also brought death to him. But the death was not just a death to die. For the Lord, it was how he was going to pay the bills that were incurred by his bride. To set her free as his death was the price for her freedom. Was the ransom redemption price. The death of Christ. But see that sin, death and condemnation, came by something that was hanging on a tree. And the same were taken away, sin, death and condemnation, were taken away by something, by someone. The Lord Jesus, who was also hanging on another tree. The Achaeus tree. So the tree brings condemnation and the tree also, depending, brings salvation. It is he who came and said, unless you eat of this flesh and blood, there's no life in you. Unless you eat of this fruit that is going to hang on Mount Calvary, there's no life in you. You're going to have to eat. But he was not meaning eating his flesh like his physical flesh. I was talking about faith in him and faith in his work on the cross. John 19, 41. John says, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Why was there a garden in the place where the Lord was crucified? Because he was the second Adam who had appeared to undo what the first Adam had done. Was the events of sin and salvation are settled in the garden. The sin happens in the garden and the sin is removed in the garden. Sin in the garden with the first Adam, sin and the curse removed in the garden by the second Adam. Very purposeful. So we determined that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was representing the testimony of the law because it is the law that gives the knowledge of sin but was never given to give life. Adam and Eve needed to have the knowledge of sin. A creature of the dust, like you and I, cannot just come to God. That is not how it works. There is a determined way of coming. There is a way to approach one of the nature of God. A way that is agreeable 
with who God is. God is holy. He is righteous. He is sovereign. And he will not share his glory with anyone who is less than himself in the matter of what causes your eternal standing with or before him. He will not share his glory in what caused you to have title to the things that he alone gives. You're not sharing in that. You are not sharing in that. And that is why you cannot be your own mother. <laughs> you only have one mother. You can't take that title away from her. Because she alone did that. She's not going to share the glory of carrying you for nine months with you. No. And say, oh, but mommy, it was so hard being crammed in there. Like, no. Boy, you don't know how much trouble it cost me. <laughs> and so the way that is agreeable with him is the way of Christ. In the way of the cross is the way of grace and mercy alone. These things mean the same thing. Because people think when you say grace and mercy alone is something different or something in addition to Jesus. No, it's saying the same thing. It is saying by God alone. By faith alone is not something that you do by believing. No, it is saying by God alone. It is saying by Christ alone. These are not additional things. Because people say, oh, we are saved by grace through faith as if that is a list of things that have to be. No. It's just saying by God alone, by Christ alone. So there was no accident that happened in the Garden of Eden. But it is represented that way. It is taught that way. That if God had just put enough Ohio State patrol officers in the Garden of Eden, then sin would not have happened. Guess what? Those troopers would have been eating from the tree too. <laughs> sin was to always be in the world. Christ Jesus. Follow my arguments. Christ Jesus was always to be introduced to us, to be known to us through sin. Hence the cross. God determined the cross from before the foundation of the world. Because that's how he was going to introduce himself to us. Introduce himself. To us through salvation from sin. That was always his eternal purpose in Christ. This is how he determined from as far as he has been God. This is how he determined to be known by his creation through the redemption that is in Christ. So in the wake of Adam's sin, 
death spread to all men. But why? Because all sinned in the one act of disobedience. But why not give Adam a second chance? (laughs) Don't people say, oh, God is the God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Not in the matter of sin. Just one bite is enough to condemn you for eternity. And someone will say, but I was not there. You and I were not there. How is that possible that I should be found guilty and liable for an act that I did not do? Why should I be accused of eating cookies that I did not eat? And someone will even reason and say, if only they'd been given a chance, if only they had been put in the garden and not Adam, like, give me a chance, they would not have eaten. That's what a lot of people say. I've had that argument. But it's not fair to be made liable for something that I did not do. Let me tell you the honest truth. You would not have done any better than even Adam. Not in our current state. If anything, you would not have eaten one, but seven of them. Brought a Ziploc bag and stashed some in the deep freezer. (laughs) And make us twice the children of hell. I'm not even kidding. But why is it that death came to all men? Paul says, because all sinned. And that means there was, there is a legal principle at work here. You hear some people, professing Christians say, I get tired of these people who always say, these preachers, that the gospel is a legal matter. What are they saying by that? They're saying, don't talk about things that happened outside of me. Talk about me. Talk about me and what I do. Don't you think I'm cute? Talk about me. But no. There's a legal aspect to the gospel. That is the only way that one can be found guilty and under condemnation of something that they did not personally do. But the fact that death came upon us, it means by this legal principle, we were also reckoned to have been in the garden with Adam. We are very much related to Adam by this principle. And this by reason of union and representation. I could not hammer these two words hard enough and long enough. Union and representation are very, very, very critical to your appreciation of the gospel. God legally united all humanity to Adam, in Adam, in that act of Disobedience. 
So as sin entered and its judgment, which is death, we also came under it. Thus the sin of Adam was legally transferred to us, to all humanity, by imputation. The sin and its consequence were accounted to our personal accounts. And that means you do not need to actually sin to be under sin. You don't have to do a particular thing to be under sin or to be under death and condemnation. You just need to exist. And that is what Adam will do for you. As soon as you exist, you're in trouble. And many people, because of poor gospel understanding, will say in the light of this, infants who die, all of them, automatically go to heaven. And some will say they're condemned. Because if God wanted them to be saved, he would have kept them long enough to hear the gospel and to believe the gospel. That's a problem. They're conditioning salvation on faith. To those who say, all infants who die automatically go to heaven, the argument is because they never sinned. They did not reach they, they had not reached the, reached the age of accountability. They had not reached or they have not reached the age of accountability. So they have a natural path to glory. I'm not going to dwell on infant salvation. But what I know is that all the elect will be saved. Jesus said it. He will not lose any of his sheep. Because what saves or condemns a sinner is not their faith or lack of faith. It is whether they are in Christ or not. It's whether they remain in the first Adam or they're in the second Adam. End of story. That's the simplicity of the gospel. In which Adam do you close this life in? Do you remain with the first Adam? Or are you going to be translated, or have you been translated into the second Adam? So many claim to believe in salvation by grace alone, but they do not know what it means. They cannot make proper conclusions as to the implications of that. Christ will not lose any of his ship. Thus, all the infants who die, who are elect, will be in heaven and are in heaven. God has no problems with saving his people because all they require comes from him. <laughs> so in the matter of Adam and us, we also inherited the corrupted nature, the sinful nature, born dead in trespasses and sins, and that is why we do all the things that sinners do. 
born spiritually dead means with no ability or capacity to come to God, to hear his truth, unless God comes for you and gives them that ability. And that is called regeneration. When God comes and gives you the ability to hear spiritual things and believe them, that is the new birth. You are born of God. That is the quickening by the Spirit. And it is the work of God alone. It is independent of man. Because if it is dependent on man, on you, or me, to any degree, then it is not of God alone. God is the one who gives life. And he does not need my help because I have no life to give. (laughs) I have no life to give. I cannot quicken a sinner. But sin is not learned from school. The ways to sin are what may be learned from school or learned from others. But the sin is already there. It's indwelling right from conception. And some you hear saying, especially the politicians who don't know the gospel, that we can make a society of less sinful people, good people. I'm not sure about that. How do you do that? Through instruction? But instruction without the Holy Spirit will not work. You need the power, the power of God, not the power of some battery pack. That's not the power. It has to be by the power of God. In The day of his power, his people are made willing. In the day of his power. Not in the day of our own instructions and power and legislation and rules. That will not build a better people. So all sinned in Adam and all came under death in him. That is the critical point of the unfolding of salvation. Anyone who must believe Christ must agree with this truth. Otherwise, they are not in agreement with God's words. God says, verse 13, Romans 5, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. So Paul is going to make a connection between law and sin in the matter of death. And here I believe he has some Jewish audience in the background who are asking the connections between law and sin and death. In the matter of the gospel, how do these things come together to explain what has happened? Since the law, the codified law, 
came thousands of years later after Adam, through Moses, Mount Sinai, after the exodus from Egypt, how is it that people were dying before then? After all, Paul has said this in Romans 4, 14 and 15. This is what Paul said. For if those who are of the law are heirs, those who try to obey the law are heirs of God's blessing, of God's salvation. Faith is made void. Now it's nullified. And the promise made of no effect, the promise of Christ, the promise of grace is nullified if it were coming by human obedience. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there's no law, there's no transgression. Where there's no law, there's no transgression. Thus, there should not be death. If death is connected to the breaking of the law, if you remove the law, then there should not be death. So that is true. And that is why God gave Adam a commandment to not eat. That was his law. And when a law is given by God, it has a purpose. And it is not to give life. A law that is given by God cannot give you life. Life does not come from a law. It comes from a person. So you can't please God by the law. You cannot enter into any of God's promises, blessings, eternal inheritance in Christ, made co-heir with Christ by law-keeping by your own personal obedience, by your own goodness. And that is an offense to a lot of people because they think they can actually do something. That God will then look at them and say, oh, wow, I did not realize that this person was so good. Let me see if I can give them some eternal life. (laughs) Paul said what? The law brings wrath. And that's not good. This is not being preached by a lot of our so-called reformed people. This is not yet understood by many professing Christians. So the commandment to not eat brought God's wrath to the consciousness of Adam. That's something that Adam had not ever thought about. That God could actually be angry with him. And also it brought corruption to him because of sin. After this, after Adam had eaten, I'm sure he started having allergies for the first time (laughs) and headaches 
and wondered what was going on. He's like, I, I need me some allergy pills. <laughs> and by imputation, sin spread to all men because they were represented in Adam because God had not yet revealed the way that sin would be arrested and satisfied. So until the man comes who is able to arrest sin and satisfy all men and women will be under death, will be under sin and death. And until this man shows up, no man or woman has right to approach God because they don't have the merit. So sin and death must first spread to all men. That's point number one in this particular context because I'm going to have a second point on it. Sin and death must first spread to all men. That was God's intention right from the beginning. Why? His grace and mercy must be known. And it must be praised. You see those two things? It must be known. The grace and mercy of God must be known. And it must be praised. You cannot talk about grace and mercy apart from sin. Impossible. Ephesians 1, 3 to 7. Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him when we believed. No, before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us to the end that we would be holy and without blame when we come into his presence. That was the end of it. That's why he chose us. He chose us so that when we show up before him, we'll be blameless. Having predestined us, that is a sovereign eternal decree, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. So we were adopted as sons because God only has one natural son who is Christ. Everybody else is adopted and there's no adopted baby who chooses the parents to be adopted by. They'll just be chilling in their crib with a pacifier, but they're not choosing the parent. Okay? <laughs> Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, which means no human free will there. 
he did not consider anybody, didn't ask for anybody's opinion to say, do you really think that it would be a good idea if I chose you? He's like, no, I'm just going to do it. Whether I like it or not, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do it. I'm choosing you. But why? Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's all. <laughs> not for you to bring your money. Not for you to work in his field. Not to do his dishes. Do his laundry. No. Just for you to praise him. To the praise of the glory of his grace. By which he will make us accepted in the beloved if we continue to be good people, if we continue to mourn for our sins, if we continue to be... No. By which he has made us accepted in the beloved. It's already a done deal. We are already accepted. We are not doing anything to be accepted. Accepted in the beloved. And that is Christ. So the glory, which means, glory means the weight of his attributes. The weight of the glory of this attribute called grace must be praised by the recipients of his grace and mercy. The vessels of honor. And that's why Eve ate. That's why sin came. It must be praised. And this was God's way to make sure that he will be praised. Verse 7, Ephesians 3. Sorry, Ephesians 1 still. In him, that is Christ, we have redemption. We have justification through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. How many sins were forgiven? All of them. Every one of them. According to the riches of his grace. That's what his grace does. It forgives all of your sins. It redeems, it justifies you. It makes you holy, it makes you accepted, it make you, makes you adopted. So redemption, justification from what? From the sin, death, and condemnation that Adam brought. So for the elect, Adam is reversed in Christ. What Adam brought only has a reverse gear in Christ Jesus. Let's get some commentary from what happened in the crossing of the Jordan River. Be opening to Joshua 3. Jordan River crossing under the leadership of Joshua. Of Yeshua. Joshua was the type of Christ who took over from Moses in leading God's people into the promised land. 
And this is what Joshua said to the children of Israel, beginning at verse 11. Work verse 11 to 13. And then a few verses down after I made some commentary. Joshua said, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Joshua said, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bore the ark of the Lord would rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan would be cut off. The waters that come from upstream. And they shall stand as a hip. What is that saying? The Jordan was at flood stage, overflowing the banks. In other words, it was impassable. And it took the mediation of the God-appointed priesthood carrying the Ark of the Covenant to have their feet rested into the waters for there to be a way for the people. The waters would have swept them away and that those waters at flood stage were a picture of God's wrath. They were a picture of God's judgment. And God is saying, the only way for sinners to cross over the flood of Israel and not be swept away has to be by the mediation of his appointed priest the Lord Jesus. And this is what happens to the priest. And when this priest has his feet rested into the waters, rested into the wrath of God, rested on the cross by way of nails, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The wrath of God will be stayed, it will be roared back, the water will come up to a hip. Joshua 3, 14 to 16. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priest, with the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped 
in the age of the water. In parenthesis, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. The Jordan was at flight stage. And this is why this is important to know. Verse 16. That the waters which came down from upstream stood still. The waters that came from upstream. Upstream where? From God. Because the wrath of God is coming from God. The waters of judgment are coming from upstream. And they rose in a heap. And how far back were the waters rolled back? Very far away at Adam. That city, the city that is beside Zaretan. The waters of judgment were rolled into a heap very far away. The Holy Spirit knows what he's talking about. Not two miles away, not 500 feet away, but very far away to a city called Adam. To say what? To say the mediation of the priesthood of Christ in the crossing of his people into God's salvation stops the flowing of God's wrath. It reverses the curse. It removes the sin. It removes the death and condemnation. It roared up God's wrath for the elect all the way to Adam. And even more than Adam. See that? It's not accidental. But remember the wrath is only rolled up for the elect crossing who have the God-appointed high priest. It shall be released when the unredeemed sinners try to cross, as what happened with the Red Sea crossing. Hear this. So the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arabah, still in Joshua 3, the Saw Sea, failed and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The waters of the Jordan would have continued flowing into the Sea of the Arabah, which is the Salt Sea, and it failed because the waters were cut off so that the people crossed over. But what would have happened if the waters had come and swept them? They would have been swept into the Arabah Sea, the Salt Sea. And what grows in the Salt Sea? Are you going to find tilapia in the Salt Sea? No. Very few things grow in there. There's no life there. There's no salmon there. That would have been the place of condemnation. The Salt Sea. There's no life there. What am I saying? 
I'm saying this is what the Lord Jesus did as the high priest of the elect, the church. In him, we have redemption, justification through his blood, the rolling back of God's wrath, the forgiveness of sins. He rolled God's wrath for us through the redemption that is in his blood. Point number two, to the matter of why sin must happen. First, I said, is so that God's grace and mercy should be praised. In the rolling of God's judgment from you, rolling it away, back to Adam and beyond. The second point is sin and death and condemnation must happen. Because God's wrath as his grace must be known. It must be shown. And it must be praised. Because it flows from his justice. Let's go to Romans 9. We won't dwell there long, but Romans 9, 21 to 23. Romans 9, 21 to 23. Paul says, Does not the porter have power over the clay? People say, oh, I'm not a robot. God says, no, yeah, of course they're not a robot, but they're clay. A robot is actually an upgrade from clay. (laughs) Because a robot can actually do things. Does not the porter God have power over the clay from the same lamp to make one vessel of, for honor and another for dishonor. What if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, prepared by him for destruction, God has what he calls vessels of wrath that he prepared for destruction to make his power known. And that in the process, verse 23, he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Both vessels are prepared by God. No one prepares themselves for anything. That's why I don't agree with these sovereign, so-called sovereign grace preachers who say, oh, you go to heaven by God's grace, but you go to hell by your own choice. No, that's not true. That's not true. God does both. Because it's about his power being on. So God must teach his creation about himself, about his grace, about his mercy, his holiness, his righteousness. He must and he will teach them of his attributes. And it is through the gospel 
that all these things are put on display. So the gospel is more than about the redeems comfort in heaven, sipping champagne and whatever happens in heaven. That is secondary, if not tertiary, to the math of salvation. There's a math of salvation. What we enjoy, all the heavenly blessings, spiritual blessings in Christ, those are a side benefit, but is not the fundamental reason why we are there. We shall be there and are there because of God. It is about God. It is about Christ. Saying, look at me. Am I not awesome? (laughs) That's the point. I'm not lying to you. You have to understand these things this way. Then your theology will be right. God is in this business, to say, look at me. Look how awesome I am. Look how beautiful. Look how powerful I am. I saved you. I made you a vessel of grace, of honor. Look how gracious I am. Praise me for that. And that is why in all this conversation of the gospel, Election is very important to a proper telling of the story of Christ. If you deny election by grace, you cannot tell the truth on Christ, tell the truth on God's grace, because the grace of God was purposed from before the foundation of the world. Thus, it does not matter how sincere, nice or cute the person denying it is. Grace begins in election by grace. Election is by God's grace. And that means it is not conditioned on anything that a sinner does, whether good or bad. Election is not based on foreseen faith or good works or like some would say that God chooses or chose those that would choose him back because he is a gentleman. He wants a relationship. Like, for real? You want God to buy you some flowers? (laughs) And that makes for a sovereign sinner. Much of what is being preached and believed as the gospel is actually not the gospel because it is about the sovereign sinner making eternal decisions for the sovereign God who now, unfortunately, has become the desperate God who is busy wringing his hands, hoping that someday someone may just be sorry for him and choose him because apparently he is very lonely by himself. But that is inconsistent with the God of the Bible. Salvation comes down to 
in God's pursuit of his own glory. That line is bolded in my notes. In God's pursuit of his own glory. Was he pleased to count you among the vessels of mercy? And those that he counted among the vessels of mercy, Christ has redeemed and God has freely justified and does not and will not ever bring to remembrance any of their sins. Not in his court. In human kangaroo courts, yes. In your own courts, the courts of your own conscience, yes, you bring your own sin to be remembered, but not before God. God does not do that. God is not double-minded. God is not learning anything new about Sean to be surprised. Like, oh man, I'm stuck now. What should I do? I didn't see that coming. <laughs> no, God is not surprised. Once he has said a thing, he has said it forever. God's concession ended when Jesus said it is finished. There was a court session. There were transactions going on. And his resurrection bears witness that the court session ended. And God does not use a jury system of justice. He doesn't need anybody's opinion. It is he who justifies. He does it all and by himself. As Romans 8.34 says, who is he who condemns? But someone else trying to condemn me and there will always be people trying to condemn you. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also reason. It's Christ who died to make payment for whatever may have condemned you. That's what Paul is saying. So there's no record of your sin because he erased it when he died. And furthermore, is also reason. Who is even at the right hand of God. To give testimony. To defend. Who also makes intercession for us as the advocate. So we don't have a dead lawyer. We have a lawyer who is seated on the right hand of God. Ever interceding. So those who were redeemed and justified. Are they whom God calls. By the Holy Spirit. And the preaching of the gospel. God is not calling the elect to justify them. He is not calling them to redeem them, as to redeem them. He is not calling them that he may begin to make them holy. But because they were already redeemed. 
already justified, already perfected in the appearance of their second representative. We're going to be working more of that side B as we move forward with the teaching of Romans 5. And because it is about God, it will not fail because of what you did or did not do or are not doing. If God conditioned any part of salvation on anything that you did or did not do, we would all this morning or this afternoon be headed to hell. No exception. Everyone, including Joe Biden. Okay? So it is all of grace. I do say that. It is a promise that it may be of faith. And, and the Pope, by the way. Yeah. And the Pope too. But the Pope thinks he is the representative of Christ on earth. There's nothing like that. Okay? He is not the representative of Christ. He's just a sinner who needs God's redemption. But hear this. Because salvation is all of grace. What then is the saying of faith? What is the function? What's the purpose of faith? Because people tend to elevate faith in the experience of the person believing to a level that is unacceptable. True faith looks outside of you. It looks outside of what you are doing, whether good or bad. To what someone else did. And that someone else has to be your representative, the second representative who is Christ. You're not looking to Adam, you're looking to Christ. So faith is a gift from God to all the elect. And it is God's prescription lenses. Faith is God's prescription lenses. When you've gone to, for those who wear glasses, you go to the eye doctor, they put you on some instrument, and then they'll be changing the letters, lettering, and say, do you see better on one or two? See, like, oh, I, I am blind on both one and two. Then they have to make an adjustment. Until you begin to see clearly. And faith is God's prescription for us to see, to comprehend the unseen things, spiritual realities, heavenly things in respect of Christ Jesus, who he is, what he has done, who we are in him. So our giving, our being given faith does not cause new realities to come that were not already there in Christ. These things are already there. Faith is just given so that we see them. We behold them. We trust that God has spoken about them and we rejoice in that. That's true faith. We have to go back again to verse 13. 
of Romans 5. says, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. How was sin in the world before Mount Sinai? Did God give testimony of the presence of sin in the world before the law was given on Mount Sinai? Let's go to Genesis 6. Genesis 6, 5 to 8. The text says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The intent, the bent. Of the thoughts. Even just the thoughts. Not even doing anything. Just man sitting on the couch. God says, I can see this man or woman just thinking evil. (laughs) And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I'm sorry that I have met them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If Noah found grace, it means he was no better than the rest of the crowd around him. It is God who made him to differ. Noah was a grace case just like you and me. He was a grace case. Let's skip to verse 11, still in Genesis 6. Verse 11 to 13. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. These are all gospel things that we have no time to go into. But that was the condition, spiritual condition of the earth. People were just being sinners. So sin was in the world. Before the law was given. And the evidence is that the people were doing crazy things. God said the earth was corrupt before him and still is. Corrupt and filled with violence. And it's not getting better. But before Mount Sinai, God had not yet given a secretary to document and file the sins of the people. That is what Mount Sinai was given to do. The law 
was and is God's secretary. Not only to reveal sin, but to increase the transgression and to nicely file people's sins into their proper categories. Such that Paul would say of himself in Romans 7 verse 7. In the matter of the filing of sin. To become very aware of very specific sin. Romans 7 verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. So the law is there to say, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law has said you shall not covet. So the law is given to break down the sins that people were doing into their respective groupings. Covetousness, adultery, stealing, Bearing false witness, killing, murder, as we saw with Cain murdering his brother, Abel. Okay? But I'll give you my illustration of this matter about law in light of Paul's teaching and commentary of it in Romans 7. Paul is saying, People were already engaged in the activity called sinning as evidenced by the fact that people were doing crazy things and also were dying. So sin was in the world, but there was no accounting of it. So it appeared as though it was absent. And yet people were dying because of it. What was killing them was sin. Was what Adam had already infected them with. And I've given the example of blinking eyes. Blinking your eyes is something that you always do. It is a reflex action. And that is exactly the matter of sin. Sin is what you are already doing. Is what you are by generation from Adam. Now, until this moment, until today, there was no law given that is against something that you already do, like blinking. And yet you have been blinking from birth. And you have no ability to stop it. Now, if I come and put a condition of life and death to it and say, anyone who shall continue to blink shall surely die shall surely be condemned, guess what? You've just been condemned. You are so dead. 
you are with Paul in Romans 7 saying, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That commandment that I just gave you is discovering to you that which you already do. You already blink. You already are a sinner. The commandment is revealing that to you now. Like, oh, when I was seemingly admiring my neighbor's truck, I was actually coveting. <laughs> and I'm dead for it. And that's what Paul was saying of himself about the law. Before he thought he was not a coveter. He thought himself righteous and blameless. Then the law came and showed up and he found himself convicted of something that he could not stop doing. And he would say in Romans 7, 8, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all men of, de of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. You see that same line again. Paul has almost repeated it three times. Romans 4, Romans 5, where we are, and Romans 7. So the moment that I tell you to stop blinking or you will die is the moment that you become more aware of your blinking, even more your inability to stop it, even more that you feel condemned. If God really meant it that if you would continue blinking, you die, you're condemned. There's no one who can help you. You have to blink. <laughs> so the commandment, the law of Moses was given to give an accounting of sin. Mount Sinai itself was not the cause of death. Because then the Gentiles who were not under Mount Sinai would not have been dying. They would have been living to 25,000 years old. Or even still continue to live because they did not have any particular instruction from God. They were just kicking it. Okay? Mount Sinai was foreshadowed in the testimony of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The law, the Ten Commandments, as the founding document was given to people who were already under sin and death because of Adam. But because it is the ministry of death and condemnation, it could not help to clean up those who were already under sin and death. You are bringing death on top of death. That's what the law is doing. It was a ministry not of cleaning up, but of condemning more. So it could only seal their case, seal their condemnation. So sin is not imputed where there's no law. 
And that is the reason why God gave Adam a commandment that he may establish the basis of the imputation of sin and guilt to him and his posterity. Okay? So the more laws you give one another to or anyone to do, the higher the chances of you breaking them and of straining things, straining relationships. And that is why Paul would say to the church, bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ, of love, of forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Also, in illustration, one cannot be given a speeding ticket where there was never a speed limit that was posted or imposed in the area. But it does not mean that people were not speeding and doing 100 or 120 miles per hour and causing accidents. You can't be charged where there was not a written law forbidding something. It is unlawful according to the law. And that is Paul's point of why the law was given. For the proper accounting of people's sins that they were already doing. The law was not bringing in a new reality. It was just exposing the reality that was there. Verse 14, that is our last verse. Romans 5. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. The evidence that men and women were sinners, are sinners, is that they were dying. In other words, people don't die because of old age. You cannot engineer yourself out of death by your diet, by exercise, by some gene therapy. There's nothing like that. <laughs> death is a commandment of God. Okay, It's going to happen because of sin. So people kept dropping like flies Right from Adam to Moses, the period in which the law had not yet formally been given. That's the period between Mount Sinai and back to Adam. And if they were dying, it means something was killing. Something was going on. People were dying because the wages of sin is death. That's the only reason why they were dying. The wages of sin is death. But their dying was because of who they were or who they are in their representative. Because they were united to Adam and his transgression. Not necessarily because of their individual acts of sin. Their individual acts of sin is not what was condemning them. They were already Condemned. That is Paul's point here. Paul is wanting to elevate Adam because Adam is more important in the conversation 
because of his relation to Christ. Okay? So the lack of proper accounting did not mean that people were righteous. There was just no proper legal accounting of the sinful activities that men and women were involved in. And this even with all who had not transgressed or misstabbed or made a false step in the likeness of Adam. That's what transgression means. It means to make a false step. So we, as sinners, we make false steps in righteousness. So when God came and gave the law and filled it with do not, do not, it was because of what people were already doing and they thought it was kosher and yet it was unrighteous for them. Okay? We are almost done. I didn't think that I'll have this much strength. Uh, but that's how God does things. Okay? <laughs> Paul added another nugget and said, This Adam who brought sin and death was also a type of him who was to come. A type of Christ. The man who would have a God-given bride made from his side through a type of death and resurrection. The Adam who willingly joined himself to the condemnation of his bride. The Adam who, when he got married to Eve, God said, For this reason the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh as Christ Jesus left the Father in search of the redemption of his bride, willingly joining himself to a condemnation that he may redeem her, make her holy, make her righteous and above reproach. And this Adam is he who had the ground cast for his sake, as God cast the whole creation for the sake of Christ, that he may redeem it from its pains together with the sons of God. But I wanted to close this way. And I may revisit my points in the next message. These are important points to consider in why Adam is important in the proper telling of the gospel story. If we get Adam wrong, we get Christ wrong. If we get Christ wrong, we also get Adam wrong. But it's more important to get Christ right. But they're inextricably linked. The words that we have in the Bible in respect of salvation like redemption, reconciliation, propitiation, peace with God, mercy seat, justification, have no meaning if Adam is not part of your story. 
they all have reference to Adam. They do come in the human experience because of Adam. Our need for reconciliation, our need for redemption, our need for justification, our need for the mercies, our need to have peace with God, they come because of Adam. He had to make us pass, God did, through Adam for a purpose. The elect had to make a detour through Adam because you must be justified from something. You can't just say you're justified. Justified from what? You have to be justified from something, from some legal state that you were in and be put into another. You must pass from death because that's what Adam brought to you and I. You must pass from death. That is in Adam into life. That is Christ. You must be translated from the kingdom of darkness. That is Adam into the kingdom of light. And that is Christ. But this not of your own doing, but by the work of Christ. And because of that, this is what the gospel says. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17. Paul says, we are a Pauline teaching church. You, you, you can jump to any message that we have. It doesn't matter where. You can always hear the line and Paul says, <laughs> and Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The new creation is the redemption and justification that you now possess in Christ. That's a new creation. It's not you becoming a better person. The old things that have passed away is not your old boyfriend or girlfriend or a bad marriage, it is Adam. It is Adam and what he represented when you stood in him. In the time that you stood in him, you stood in death, in condemnation, in spiritual darkness, in hatred of the truth. And the new things are not a new car. They are not a new house. They are not a new boyfriend or girlfriend. It is Christ and all that he brings with him. So sin entered the world through the one man, Adam, and it affected all men 
And if you were in Adam at some point in your life, according to God's reckoning of union and representation, then it is also safe to say it is impossible to end your salvation. All men and women die and have been dying as God's reminder of the truth and reality of Adam. You don't have to have a picture of Adam on your refrigerator. The fact that we sin, we get sick and we die is God's reminder to us that we have some Adam in us. But for those in Christ, we know that when he was crucified, Adam, the old man, was crucified with him. And when he was crucified, his feet as our high priest rested on those waters of God's judgment and he rode them back for us into a heap all the way to as far away a city called Adam. That's what the Bible says. That's what made us the new creation. The rolling away of the waters of judgment. That's the new creation. And the good news is that we now can cross the once flooded Jordan, the once impassable way to God, right into God's inheritance and into his presence on dry ground. On dry ground. We don't need any other contraption to do the crossing. The way was made clear for us already by Christ. And to that we say, God be praised for his Christ and for his work and for his glory. And we say amen. All right, we're done. God be praised. Let's pray to thank him for all these many wonderful things. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the story of Christ as you presented it to us in the life of Adam, that it was not really about Adam, even though he is important in the telling of the story of Christ. And yet he was and is significant to us in that sin, death, and condemnation came by him but not as the end of things, but as the beginning of things. As for the elect, our stay in Adam was just a detour because the Christ was coming to translate us out of sin and death and to justify us, redeem us by his own blood. We thank you for the waters that were rolled back by the intercession of Christ by his death on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for understanding the gospel and for the Spirit teaching us. May you continue to remind your people of the reality of all these wonderful things. Be with us in our going in and our going out, and may you bring us back 
to hearing the same testimony of Christ. We honor you, glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, good people. I hope you are so happy that the lazy boy gospel is looking the right way. Okay. I did something right today if you did not hear the gospel. God bless you. <laughs>